All right, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 4. We're going to be spending the whole day here in this last category of temptation. That is with the Lord. What I hope to do this morning is to set up the actual temptation in our minds and our hearts so that we can really, as it were, identify with it, and then, Lord willing, for our Lord's table devotional, finish this up, this little mini-series. I trust it's been an encouragement and a help, and I just want to preface this by saying that there are many, many times that we have little series here at the church or a little emphasis on something, or even in a book series, And the Lord is actually seeking to prepare us and strengthen us because we're going to be encountering that very same circumstance in the near future. That near future could be months, it could be a year. I think of Nebuchadnezzar when Daniel warned him. And it was one year later that he's walking in the palace. And in his heart, And he verbalizes about what a great kingdom that he made. And the voice came and the prophecy was fulfilled in his heart and life. And I trust that in the months or ahead that you'll recognize when you are being tempted in these categories and that you will know exactly how to respond to that in your heart and in your mind. So I want to begin reading in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, down through chapter 4 and verse 11, although our text for the day will be verses 8 through 11. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened, And he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle or the extremity of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory or their beauty. And he said to them, to him, All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. We have seen in this first category of temptation that hearing and obeying the Word of God is how we are to live. This is the very essence of our life. 
If you read through the book of Ecclesiastes and you come to the end of that book, Vanity of Vanities, Solomon says, this is the chief end of man, that we obey God and keep His commandments. This is what we are to be learning as believers and what we are to be valuing above all things under the sun. We're to be valuing obedience to God's Word in every area of our life. In our walk, in our strength, in our mind, in our heart, with all of our being. And it really is in the valley of weakness and humiliation that reveals our true spiritual state. Jesus is very much humbled here as a man, is He not? Forty days and forty nights would definitely weaken a man. It is in this weakened state, in this valley of humiliation, that the true state of the man, Jesus Christ, is brought forth and the true state of ourselves. This is where we place value on things. Would we value bread or drink or houses or lands or influence or position or gain? Would we value those things more than walking in the way of the Lord? Anybody can say that they're walking with the Lord in days of fullness. Now, I have to put a footnote with that. Paul does state that there is danger even in fullness. But anybody can say when the sun is shining that they are walking with the Lord. But it is when we have little self-power. It is in our weakness and in our infirmities and in our illnesses that we learn to value obedience and we see the very power of God in our lives. There is a second category of temptation, and that is temptations that are associated with being religious. Now you know that the nation of Israel experienced this, and in many ways they failed. There's even the temptation of meriting self-righteousness before God, in which they failed. But here in this, it's as if the devil said, all right, I see that you're trusting God in your weakness, and I see that you're leaning on the Word of God in how you live. So let me ask you this. It is written that in Psalm 91 that the Lord will command His angels concerning you That's in the Word of God. And on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So here you have the Word of God and you have an occasion to trust Him, to see that Word fulfilled. And of course what the devil is doing is he is using God's Word in an attempt to get us to violate God's Word. That is a very dangerous predicament, and in my mind, it may not be true scripturally, but in my mind, a much more heightened, deceptive temptation than the first one. There are temptations associated with being religious. If the nation of Israel was standing here today and they were thinking properly, and they are in the wilderness, and they are without food, let me ask you this, does God's Word promise to provide our need? The answer to that is yes. We could argue in our minds that the nation of Israel had every right to complain to the Lord about their having a lack of bread. But God says, you're actually putting me to the what? to the test. 
You are trying to force me in your supposed trust. You're trying to force me into action. You're trying to get me to demonstrate that my presence is actually with you. And folks, when we start demanding evidences that are apart from scriptural evidence, it's one thing for us to say, now Lord, you've said this, now would you teach me, would you give me understanding, would you allow the other passages of scripture to give me wisdom on how to respond in this, I want to walk rightly in this, versus demanding God to say, now if you are truly with me, then do this or I'm not going to believe you. In my heart, I'm actually going to turn my back and my heart and mind is going to go back to Egypt where I had food plenty. What a contrast that is and how wicked we are to do that. But folks, we need to remind ourselves, even as believing people, that we have the same flesh. And we are susceptible to the same categories of temptations. And surely if there's anything that has worked in my own heart as I have meditated on these categories and applied them very rigorously to my own walk, both present and how I walked with Him in the past, it is this that comes out of my heart. Lord, lead me not into temptation but deliver me from evil. Deliver me from the susceptibility and the deception of evil in my life. Don't do this. And I think that is one of the lessons that we need to be walking away. We don't need to be walking away thinking, ah, I understand these temptations, have it under my belt, I'm going to be looking out for them, and I'm going to be ready. No. No, you need to see the power of these deceptions and say, Lord, don't lead me in this into temptation like you led your son in this way. Now we have the third temptation. And in this temptation, Jesus has been moved geographically from the barren wilderness to the extremity of the temple and now he has moved, verse 8, to a very high mountain. Now the location of that mountain is debated. And the result of that debate is that it is inconclusive where the devil actually took Jesus and what very high mountain this is. What we do know, and we are certain, is that it was such a very high mountain that the devil could show him all the kingdoms of the world and the beauty of the glory thereof. I don't know of any mountain on earth where you could do that. Do you? We could climb to the top of Mount Everest. I've seen Mount Everest. And I've looked from pictures that have been taken from the top of Mount Everest. And I just see snow-capped mountains. <laughs> I see wind and clouds. <clears throat> Where might this very high mountain be? And since everybody else is debating about it, I thought I would throw in my own suggestion. Why not? I think the very high mountain that is referred to here is the very mount of God. Hear what Ezekiel 28 verse 14 says concerning the devil. You were the anointed cherub who covers. 
and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain. Did you hear that? Here's the anointed cherub that covers, referring to those cherubim, I think, that are crying, holy, holy, holy. At the very throne of God. God created Lucifer and placed him in that position. It was a position on a specific location in heaven. It was on the holy mountain of God. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. That is the only mount that I know of from which the possibility of showing all the kingdoms of the world, Luke says, in a moment of time. I take that to mean not only the past kingdoms and the present kingdoms, but the future kingdoms. If that is the place, and really it doesn't matter that you come to a dogmatic position, although I would certainly lean to that place and geographical location, what he shows the Lord is all the majestic, glorious kingdoms of the world. And folks, what we have here is Satan bringing the full artillery. He is pulling out every weapon that he has. In an attempt to cause the second Adam to transgress. There is perhaps no greater temptation than this and no more deceptive temptation than this. Now folks, we, we will not be tempted with this full artillery. It doesn't take the full artillery for us to transgress in this. In fact, it takes very little for us to transgress in this. But he pulls out the full artillery and he appeals with all powerful deception. He appeals... Now follow this, to humanity's sense of gain apart from the cross. It is man attempting to gain what can only be gained through a cross. Everybody following me here? Jesus Himself has already been given dominion to all the kingdoms of the world in Psalm 2, had He not. I've set my King upon my holy hill of Zion. And God tells the world, kiss the Son, bow your knee, pay Him homage, because He is King of kings and Lord of lords, and I have appointed Him to be that. But how will Jesus gain that kingdom? He will gain it through suffering. 
And folks, there is probably no more greater wrestling that we have as believing people who are still, even though we're regenerated, we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world, but we still have this flesh. And we have in our flesh an aversion, a repugnant aversion to suffering. It is an involuntary thing in us. You place before us a path of relative ease and a path of suffering, in almost every occasion, we will feel pulled to what path? To the path of ease. We will do anything and everything to avoid wrestling with principalities and powers. Yesterday, I <clears throat> turned on the television and was watching Big Ten Wrestling. This isn't your fake wrestling. This isn't your entertainment wrestling. And as I was sitting there watching them, and we're only talking about two minutes. Two minutes. I wrestled in high school Two minutes is an eternity. <laughs> and I watched as the camera got in on the strain of their faces and of the taut muscles. And I watched their chest heaving, desiring oxygen because of the enormity of the power and the strength and the stress that was going out. I thought to myself, this is exactly how believing people's inner man is as they walk through the pilgrimage on this earth. But we don't like that. We don't recognize what it means to have peace of God while wrestling. Not the peace of God absent the wrestling. The peace of God in the midst of wrestling. Everybody following me? If you walked with the Lord for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. We try to ensure ourselves from every type of depravity. I'm not against insurance. I'm not against saving. So don't go that direction. But we can make that a goal and not keeping the commandments of God. Our goal, brethren, is to be the fruitfulness of our inner man. That's it. Because that fruitfulness is the only thing you'll take with you to glory. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And this temptation of showing our Lord the kingdoms of the world and their glory, as I mentioned, is powerful. And men of old had to wrestle with this. Job is probably the greatest example of this. What did God permit the devil to do first? To remove Job's wealth. Now you just think about losing all your wealth. Whether you say, well, I don't have much wealth. Okay, lose it. And think about how much anguish that that enters into your mind just thinking about it. 
Job lost his family. His own wife encouraged him to curse God and die. Think about the inner torment of something like that. Job even had all of his means to gain wealth destroyed. His flocks, his herds, his employees, as it were. And think about the amazing strength that it took that great man to say, I came out of the womb naked. I go back to him naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says in all that, Job did not what? And neither has our Lord. I'm just trying to set up to you how powerful this is of a temptation. And then after all the removal of his wealth and all the removal of his family and all the destroying of his means of wealth, the devil says, well, you know that a man will give anything for his life. And Job got given a disease, such a disease that everybody in the community knew that this, this had to be quote of God. This wasn't a normal cold or a sinus infection. And Job is wrestling. He's wrestling not to depart from the Lord. Do you see how powerful this is? I want us to turn to Psalm 73. We've gone over this psalm. <clears throat> but you may say to yourself, well, <clears throat> you know, Job was a great man. He lived in different times. <clears throat> But here is Asaph. And Asaph is honest enough to actually write by inspiration a psalm that is describing his own wrestling and what he is looking at with his own eyes. He says in verse 1 of this psalm, Surely God is good to Israel, to, no, to those who are pure in heart. Now there's your statement. Now let's just pause here. Is God good? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. So you agree with Asaph. But Asaph went into a valley of humiliation where he beheld the beauty and glories of lost people. And his heart began to drift. Look at what he says. Verse 2, But as for me, you know, God is good, and He's good to those who appear in heart, but let's talk about me here for a second. My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Why? What? What's going on, Asaph? I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of who? The wicked. That's the glory that Satan is showing to the man Jesus. He's showing him the glories and the beauties of all the kingdoms of the world. He's showing him the prosperities of man. And brethren, if you, if you really think about it, you have looked on wicked people and you have been envious. 
You've looked on wicked people and you have said in your heart, man, it really looks like they're having fun. That's envy. You've gotten in your car and you've ridden to church and you look at your neighbor. He has a driveway full of cars and family and they're laughing and having a great time. And you've looked over there and said, well, that's not how my family is. Every day's a struggle. That's envy. You've seen lost people get ahead by pulling shenanigans. And you've seen them get pay raises in second homes and go to the beach and enjoy God's earth and the sea and totally neglect God. You've seen people in fundamental churches who live that way. And you look at them and say, man, it is so weary. It is so tiring to serve the Lord. What profit is there in serving the Lord? Well, you need to read Malachi. This was a temptation of religious people. They have their music. They have their fun. They spend millions and millions and millions of dollars to try to entertain themselves. You perhaps have gotten an illness or a bodily ailment early in your life and you're bearing that thorn and you look at your neighbors and they're healthy and they got six-pack abs and they walk around with their shirts off and they got a nice tan and they can lift things and you're just trying to walk with stability. And you've looked on that and said, I wish I was that healthy. That's envy. Everybody following me with what I'm saying? Because I do think that it's a danger for us because of the extremity of the temptations to Christ, and they are unique to Him in their extremity to think we're not tempted that way. We are tempted that way. And Asaph goes on in Psalm 73 and he says, look at this prosperity. Look at verse 4. And he's speaking in generalities. There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They have all more than enough food to eat. They're not in trouble like other men. They're not plagued like mankind. They wear their pride as a necklace. They boast about themselves. They, they come and tell you, this is what we're going to do next week, and this is my daytimer and how I got everything scheduled, and this is where I'm going to be at in my RA in 10 years, and this is what I'm going to do when I am vacating. And James says, all of those statements are pride. We're to have a heart that says, if the Lord will. Everybody see what I'm saying? And you look on that and you hear their goals and you see them make their goals because they'll boast about it. And in your heart, you said, well, I've set goals like 10 million of them. And I've not met a single one of them. Every time I get my little jar full of coins and savings, there's a hammer that breaks it. And I have to spend it on something that I didn't ever imagine I'd have to spend it on. And you're envious. 
Their eye bulges with fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. Verse 8, they mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They set themselves on high. They use their mouths against the heavens. Their tongue parades throughout all the earth. And this has an impact on God's people. They say in verse 11, well, God, how does God know? You talk about God. God sees what I'm doing. I'm getting away with it. God doesn't know about me. Verse 12, behold, these are the wicked. Always at what? Ease. They have increased in wealth. And folks, look at what Asaph says in verse 13. He says to himself in his heart, Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. I've been stricken all day long. God chastens me every morning. You see the contrast. On one, you have the way of the cross. On other, you got the way of ease. And folks, what really roused Asaph out of this envy was the fact that he, verse 17, opened his Bible, he came into the sanctuary of God, and all of a sudden he understood. He understood their end. God's design and end for Asaph was good. God's design for the end of the wicked is destruction. And folks, this caused Asaph, look at verse 21, an embittered heart. It caused him to be pierced within. It caused him to lose his wisdom. He was senseless and arrogant. And he was like a beast. He just was being pushed around with the desires of his body. Now as we go back to Matthew chapter 4, this is what our Lord is confronting. He is going to be confronted, now let's read again verse 9, excuse me, verse 8, with all the kingdoms of what? The world. and the glory of the world. Everybody following me? Okay. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn to 1 John. Because 1 John is going to tell us what is in the world. He's being shown all the kingdoms and the glory of the world. Well, what is in the world? What is so tempting about this? I mean, you could say, well, I don't want to be king of the world. I don't want to have a kingdom. That's a lot of work and a lot of worry and anxiety and people always trying to get your kingship. And I don't want that. All right, but what's in the world? What was in that temptation that the devil sought to tempt Jesus as a man with? Verse 15, chapter 2. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Can everybody see that? You see the phrase, in the world. Don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Alright, but what is the world? Verse 16. For all that is in the world. Everybody see that? You got in the world in verse 15. You got in the world in verse 16. All that is in the world. All that is in the world. All that is in the world. How much? All that is in the world. What is it? 
the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life. That's what's in the world. What is in the world are things that appeal to your flesh and appeal to your eye and appeal to your what? Pride. That's what's in the world. Folks, the world is not just how you dress. Oh, it certainly can be worldly. You can dress in such a way that you are appealing to another person's eye. The world is not just don't be a drunkard. Don't commit fornication or adultery. All those things are part of the world and it's an outworking of the world. What is in the world all that is in the world is the desires of your flesh, the desires of your eye, and your sense in your flesh to be self-confident, self-assured, propped up. Those are the things in the world. And folks, these things are so deceptive that most people don't even recognize that they're doing it. I always find it grievous. You watch a football game. And I'm not speaking condemnatory. I'm not saying these people aren't born-again believers. I'm just making an observation. They score a touchdown. They drop to their knee. And you can tell they're praying. They take their finger and point upwards. Thank God for that. And then they get up and run around and point at themselves. Do you, do you see anything in that? And a hundred thousand people are saying, Yes! Do that! And they come out and say, I was really energized. Of course you are. I don't think, I don't think, I've ever been energized to be humble. <laughs> and I've never heard that when I was humble, that all of you said, yes! And I walked away and said, wow, I was really promoted by that crowd. Everybody following me? The desires of our flesh, the desires of our eye, and to be self-dependent, self-confident, self-assured, self-strengthened, self-helped, are powerful. And folks, here, here's what we need to understand here in this passage in 1 John. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, that's not the love of God. So folks, what is God's position about the world? He doesn't what? He doesn't love it. For all that is in the world, 
the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father. Let's pause there. When these things happen, we ought to say to ourselves, this is not of God, but it is deceitful. Your flesh will actually give you righteous reasons why you ought to feel this way. Verse 17. The world is passing away. In other words, folks, at the end of the day, and I thank God for this, my lust in my flesh and the lust of my eye and my pride is going to be destroyed. Amen. But boy, I don't like the process. And we can desire something. And we can look on something and see the beauty of it. And folks, there's nothing wrong with seeing beauty in things unless the beauty is going to lead you away from the Lord. I had a man tell me one time, this is back, he was at Bob Jones University, he was dating this lady. And we were in a car and we were talking about it. And I was just, I was just warning him. I said, now, now you've got to make sure that, and I mentioned her name, that she really has godly character and that she's growing. You agree? And there was a silence and all of a sudden he bursted out. But i got to look at her in the morning too. In other words, she needs to be, she needs to be pretty. And I just busted out laughing. I said, Amen. If you get married, you ought to think your wife's the most beautiful creature on the earth. But when that takes you away from God, gradually and gradually and gradually and gradually, this is not of the Lord. When your eyes set yourself on something, you see that car catches your eye. Nothing wrong with cars. Amen. We all drove here in one. I like good cars. You like good cars. But when you say, now I want to have that type of car and that type of housing and that type of standard of living. And you know what? <clears throat> I, I could just start missing some church and you know I could start working at this job and I'm going to get paid double for doing that. And Folks, do we not recognize what this is? This is the world. And it's dangerous. And we are assaulted with it every day. And Jesus, as we go back to Matthew 4, Jesus is being ex ex accosted with this in the fullness, in the fullness of all deceivable power of darkness. Satan offers to give to Christ Verse 9, all these things. What things? Kingdoms of the world, the glory, the majesty, the beauty of it. All these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, brethren, there is a subtle acknowledgement by Satan that he knows that God has chosen Jesus to be the king. 
Why offer him the kingdoms? Here it is. Here's those cars. Here's that land. Here's that position. Here's that man. Here's that family. Here's that house. Here's that standard of living. Now I want to ask you this question. And then we're going to have to pause here in the message. Did Satan have the authority and the possession to actually give him this? Did Satan actually possess all this? And did he have the authority to give it to whosoever he will? That is another question of debate. <clears throat> the majority of commentators that I have consulted state that Satan did not have the authority and possession to do this. I think he did. I want to give you some reasons for it. The first thing that we need to understand is that the first man, Adam, we'll see if you agree with this, was given authority and dominion over the creation in the garden. Do we agree with that statement? Alright, now let me ask you. When God gave him authority and dominion was God giving up the fact that it was all His? In other words, was God just giving it to Adam and you know, divesting Himself from Himself of the creation? Adam received dominion and authority as a stewardship. And normally when people say that Satan didn't have the authority to do this, they argue by the fact that it's all God's. And God gives it to whom He would. God gives it to whom He will. God gave it, the stewardship, to Adam. Adam's stewardship was not absolute. God was still over all. God still possessed all. It still was His. Secondly, Adam as a man fell. And when he did, he gave the stewardship to the serpent. He gave his authority and dominion, that stewardship, to the serpent. How did he do that? He placed himself under the serpent. And folks, we know three times in the book of John, Ephesians, 1 John, the devil was called the ruler of this world. First John says, we know that we are of God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So who has the authority of the world? Who has that stewardship now? The devil. Thirdly, Jesus did not respond to the devil as if the devil had lied about this. That would have been the easiest way to do it, right? I'll give you that. No, I'm going to latch on the fact you give it to me. It's written. It's not yours. It's God's. He didn't do that. What Jesus did recognize 
is that the issue in the giving was a worship and bowing down of service. That that was the issue. Now the devil is a liar. But what he's doing is he's using the stewardship in a lying way to try to get the man Jesus to fall. And I do lean that Adam, when he fell, gave his stewardship of earthly authority and dominion to the devil. And the devil will have this stewardship until Christ returns. Now, is there Christ over all things? Yes or no? Yes. And He is bringing all those things under His feet. Why? Because it's all His. And in Revelation 11, verse 15, it says, the kingdom of the world has become, has become, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. Amen. I do think that He has the stewardship of dominion and authority to be able to give this. This was a real temptation. And folks, what the devil, what the devil is really ultimately tempting him with is idolatry. Now we think idolatry as in statutes. This is idolatry of heart. Someone has said that man, man's heart is an idol factory. We love to have things in our life before God. I think that's true. Now there's the setting. What's the price? Folks, there's always a price. What is the price? Well, he says in verse 9, if you will fall down and worship me. The devil demands a bowing down in worship. This is what the world demands. If Jesus would do this as a man, He would place Himself under a created being. He would be declaring that created being worthy of love, adoration, and submission. That's idolatry. And folks, I want you to hear this. I'll give you the reference. We won't turn to it. Romans 1.23 says that man professes to be wise, he becomes a fool, and he worships the creation more than the Creator. Everybody hear that? Mankind, lost mankind, bows and serves the creation. And you can see that in the paper every day. But we're not to do that. And man says, when you bow down and you serve the creation or a created being, even if that creation is yourself. Here's what you'll do. You will tell people how wise this is. This is wisdom. 
get climate under control. That's wisdom. Be your own person. That's wisdom. Find your own identity. Be you. That's wisdom. You want a high-paying job? Fantastic. That's wisdom. And I'm not against high-paying jobs. It's the love and pursuit of it. You will fall just like Lucifer fell. He demands a bowing down and worship. Now what does Jesus demand? What does He demand? At the name of Jesus, every knee will of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus demands you to bow down and worship Him. The devil, creation, lost mankind, demands that you fall down and worship the creation. Ultimately, the created being called Lucifer. Folks, there is no category for bowing to the world and having Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's no in-between category. You can't bow down to two people at once. Because I can assure you, Jesus is not standing next to Satan. The issue is, who is Lord? That's the issue in this temptation. It's either going to be idolatry, Declaring someone else is Lord, or it's going to be God the Father. And you'll recall that in Luke chapter 19 and verse 27, our Lord said, These enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. Our Lord said that. And folks, you're going to have to choose. And it's going to be a daily choice. You've got to take up the cross how frequently? Daily. And I hope that you're walking away this morning saying to yourself, this, this temptation is really powerful. I love the Lord. I'm His child. But I felt that pool. I've fallen at times. Thank God that it's in very, very small measure compared to what Christ went through. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. And for us to be on guard. When you make yourself Lord and judge and chief over anyone else and over anyone else's circumstances, you, you have moved away from the Lordship of Christ. And I want you to know Jesus' feeling about this temptation. How did He feel about this? Look at verse 10. How do you feel about this? 
You are my adversary. Get out of here. Do you hear that? That's how your soul and my soul should react. When we get brought into this type of temptation, very small measure, get out of here. I'm going to worship the Lord my God alone. That's it. May God give us the grace and if you've not bowed the knee to the Lord, may He give you the grace to bow the knee to the Lord and be saved. Folks, this is so dangerous, it's only going to take a regenerated man or a woman, boy or girl, to make it to the end. May God grant us that grace. Let's pray.